Well, I don't know about you, but I really appreciate Miss Gabby uh, giving that recommendation because I haven't heard that hymn in a long time, and it's, it was really, it, honestly, it was just really encouraging to hear it again. So I'm glad that we got to sing that together uh, and got to, I'm, it's just good to be able to, ever, as much as we can, worship our God with uh, the family in Christ. Uh, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, tonight what I want to talk about is something that uh, Paul actually says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 at the very beginning of this letter, uh, of the second letter to Timothy. One of the first things that he thinks he needs to tell Timothy, uh, the English Standard Version of verse 7 says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. I really like the New King James Version uh, in this because it says it's, it's the same thing. Uh, but at the very end, I like how it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, I really like um, just, just the lesson that that gets across, having a sound mind. Obviously, being Christians, we see a lot of things in the New Testament, particularly with, with Jesus, when he says, uh, when he talks about fear and the, the role that fear has to play in a Christian's life. I think that there is a great balance uh, in this topic that we'll be discussing tonight, what Paul says there, that we are not to have a spirit of fear. I think there's um, just, there's a lot of things you can say when talking about fear. In fact, I'm going to do a word study on the word at some point. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but just to give you a little foretaste. Um, it just, there's, there's so many passages that talk about fear that I think we kind of lose sight of because there are, you know, one of two extremes in our current religious culture. Either you have the extreme of, well, there should just be no fear present in the life of a Christian. And I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. But then you have this other extreme that says, well, you, you know, obviously, obviously there needs to be fear. And to such a degree that we just, we are going to look like pitiful people who have no confidence and no assurance whatsoever. And, and obviously that's not the case either. I think that there's somewhere um, a scriptural place that we actually land on when you come to the Bible and see what God has to say about this emotion that humans have. But particularly in the life of a Christian, how that is supposed to be uh, not, just, not just controlled, but utilized. Uh, and so that, that's the two points that we're going to be going through uh, tonight. The, the commandment that even Jesus himself goes through, which is you, this is not supposed to be something that is in the life of a Christian. You are not supposed to be dominated by fear, but also the fact that it does have a vital role um, in our lives. So uh, that, that's really the, what we're going to be going through tonight as we look at this idea of not uh, that, that what Paul says, that we are not to have a spirit of fear. I just have to say, when I think of how Christians talk about the specifically things I've heard recently from Christians, um, when they talk about fear, it just disturbs me. It's either disturbing or depressing because of one extreme or the other. So I do. Uh, this is something that um, I, I feel very strongly about, and hopefully I'll be able to um, explain uh, at least within the minutes that we have tonight. Explain what at least the general sense of what God has to say about this emotion. So. First of all, as we already said, I want to start with just what Paul says here in Second Timothy chapter 1, that we are not supposed to have a spirit of fear. That idea is already difficult enough. 
There are lots of, th- there are lots of scary things in this life, and you don't have to look very far uh, to, to figure that out. Just get on social media. You get on TikTok, and you're going to find lots of people that, frankly, they don't seem like very violent people, but at the same time, they terrify me because of the way that they live their lives. And it doesn't have to be just just the most crazy examples that you, that you can find. It's just people that, that think they know what is best, and really their ultimate standard is themselves. Of course, you spend much time on it, you will find the absolute worst of the worst of the crazy spectrum. Because there's all kinds of people that have driven themselves mad and insane simply because they have no, no unshakable standard but rather the ever-wavering standard of what I feel like right now and what I think personally is what we need to be doing right now. And so as Christians, we come to this Bible. So the, so the, the commandment that we're not supposed to fear, it's difficult enough, but I think the New American Standard version actually makes it a little bit more difficult in application as we come to this passage. And, and the New American Standard says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now, you know what the word timid means. If not, I, I wrote the definition down from Google. I, I, I knew around about what it meant, but I couldn't exactly give the official definition. So here it is. It is showing a lack of courage or confidence. Someone who is easily frightened. And so, that, so the idea when, you know, we use the, the, the term intimidate, uh, intimidation. When you intimidate someone, what you're doing is you're trying to frighten or overawe someone so that they can be coerced into doing something that you want them to do. Or if someone's doing that to us, it's, they're trying to coerce us uh, in a very negative way to do something that they want us to do. And I, I really think that when you look at this uh, lesson that Paul's trying to teach through that vein, I think it just, I don't think it takes away from the application. I think it just expands it. It broadens the application because there's all kinds of things that we already said are scary in our culture. And there's all kinds of things that we, we know what our deepest fears are. It doesn't take us very long to think about those things. Someone asks you, what's your worst nightmare? You can just, you can give them that nightmare. But when you ask the question, well, what are you timid about? That gets a little bit harder to think about because I, I think there are equally, uh, there's an equal number of things that we can be timid about, but we just don't realize it. Because I think it's, um, it, it's something that we're just not looking for. You know, some, when you are afraid of something, it's much louder than when you just kind of shy away from something. You know, I remember uh, when I was growing up, we would get a group of friends together, it would, particularly with uh, Paige's family, and we would go to, like, around Halloween, we'd go to those haunted houses and everything, and we would go to, like, you know, the scare farms or whatever. And honestly... You look at some of those actors, you can tell that's makeup, not that scary. But I will say there were a couple times where they really started revving that chainsaw and your heart skips a beat. Now, I will just say when I was you know, going with friends, I wanted to make sure I, I need to make sure that they see me as a brave, courageous person. So they will not see one shred of fright on my face. And I will say and Maybe they could say otherwise, but you know, while I'm speaking right now, I'll just say I think I got pretty good at it. I was really good about when I heard a loud noise, a frightening noise, and when somebody started running at me, I tried to make sure that I just turned very slowly. I tried to make sure that I didn't scream. I got pretty good at that as I got older. Let me tell you, again, 
You couldn't, if you had taken one of those, what is the doctor, a stethoscope, I think it's what it is, when you can listen to the heartbeat, it, she's shaking her head, maybe it's not, but when you listen to the heartbeat and the doctors are checking your blood pressure and everything, you would listen to my heartbeat. It was racing. But we can get very good at hiding fear. I will just say, though we don't see timidity as much, I think it's much harder to conceal than fear. Specifically because we don't, we're not thinking about it. We're not looking for it. But so, so that's really... That's uh, something that I think is very deceptive, just the nature of timidity. Uh, now, you can think, uh, for example, it, I think this tends to show up in personal regrets that you yourself have about something. You know, I, I almost, when I was in a conversation with someone, they brought this up about the Bible. I almost said something, but I felt too uncomfortable. I, I just didn't want to do it. You ever felt something like that? And it doesn't even have to be about a biblical conversation. It would be about anything. Have you ever been intimidated into not saying something in a conversation? Especially today with how political everything gets. That's the example. I mean, it's so easy in a conversation to think, I, I really want to add to this or maybe try to correct some misconceptions here, but I, I, I would rather just step aside and not say anything. Now, with politics, that's probably a good idea because <laughs> it generally doesn't bring that much tranquility or unity <laughs> into our culture. But when we're talking about the Bible, obviously that's something that would tend to be shameful. Now, I will just say, with regards to that, I think shame is often the reason that we become timid about something. Staying in the context, right after he says that we're not to have a spirit of fear, in verse 8, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, again, we've been going through these epistles in the Bible class. This is not the first time that Paul says something about this. And this is not the, the only, it's not when you get to the end of the epistles that this is the only time that, that you hear or read a portion of scripture that talks about uh, shame and the gospel. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 Again, Paul saying, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is God's power unto salvation for, to, the Greek first, or to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, so all throughout you see this idea that Paul is constantly saying, don't be ashamed of this. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. And therefore, don't be ashamed of his servants. Even when they're suffering specifically for the gospel's sake, don't be ashamed of that. But rather, honor them for that and, and glorify God for those moments. And so, again, you see in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, I think Paul revealing a little bit more about what that spirit of timidity would look like. It, it tends to show itself often in what we are ashamed of. Now, again, I don't think we know, uh, we see that as clearly, often. It's very hard to see those things because we're not looking for them. But, but I just want to ask the question with, with all of this once more. What are you timid about? What, is, what are the things that you shy away from? It could be that biblical conversation with someone. You're trying to talk to somebody about the gospel. I think evangelism is one of the main examples that we could give here. You know, we like, especially men, we like to say, hey, I'm not afraid of anything. You know, you, just, you just put me in any situation. I won't blink. That's, a lot of, that's really a lot like how I sounded when I was a teenager growing up and trying to make sure that, you know, especially the girls, I don't want them to sit here and me scream like a little girl. And with the guys, I didn't want them to hear me screaming that way either. So I, I had to save face. And so I think especially with men, that's kind of a, a, a temptation. But we can say that all we want. But how often, when push comes to shove, how often do we actually go forward fully and 
share the gospel with someone. We say, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of embarrassment. I'm not afraid of, 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 you know, talking to someone about the truth. Well, how's last week been? How's this past week gone? How many opportunities have you had to share the gospel with someone and it just didn't happen because you look back and you think, I just, oh, I wasn't 100% confident in it. I think timidity also, it doesn't just have to be something that you deeply, deeply fear. It's just something where maybe, maybe you're just simply ashamed of the lack of knowledge you have or maybe you are ashamed in the sense that you're not fully confident in the re- revelation that God has given to us. I mean, that's a problem in and of itself. But, but you see how it can be concealed, uh, at least in our own eyes. You can see how we can be blind to that kind of thing. And so we need to be looking for those things, not just with evangelism, but you all, I think you can see this um, just in the life of Christian. There, I think that especially today, especially for younger people in schools, getting all kinds of propaganda shoved down their throats, uh, you know, you, you hear, uh, you know, all about the LGBTQ what, plus movement, all of, the, all of the letters that are in that. And, you, and, you, and they hear this over and over and over again. And I think that there is a, a degree of shame that comes with being a Christian, particularly when it comes to that area. Because what happens when, when you bring up the Bible? Oh, so you just think I'm the worst person in the world. Well, didn't even speak, first of all. You just added that. But I do think the Bible has a lot to say about the fact that this is a sinful lifestyle. And people just go crazy about that. You don't even have to fight very hard. They'll just immediately, at the drop of a hat, hair trigger. And they're so embattled about these things just because, you know, the young, because our kids have a belief in God. They have faith in the things that God has said. What he said is sinful and what he has said is the righteous path to heaven. And so there's some shame that could come in uh, and it doesn't have to just be, you know, in school. How many times when you've been in a study or in a conversation with someone as you're talking to them about the gospel, how many times have you ever or have you ever apologized for something that the Bible says? I think that is actually something that gets us sometimes. You know, you're, you're in the middle of a discussion about marriage, divorce, or remarriage. Or maybe you're just going through the life of Christ and you get to one of those portions of, that, of, of his life where he's teaching about a scriptural divorce, a scriptural marriage, and a scriptural remarriage. And you get to that point in the conversation and in each, you know, each point they're thinking or they say out loud, that doesn't sound like what I'm in right now. And then they start to ask some difficult questions and you've got to be honest and you've got to deal with the text honestly. The temptation is to say, maybe, first of all, the temptation is to just back off the truth. But another temptation is to stay with the truth, but think that you're being more compassionate or sympathetic by saying, I'm sorry that it says this. Please, this is kind of a side point, but please don't ever deceive yourself into thinking. Don't fall for the temptation that you are more sympathetic or more compassionate than our Lord by apologizing for his words. What did Jesus do? When, somebody, when the Samaritan woman came to him, the Samaritan woman was talking to him in John chapter 4, did he start apologizing and saying that, you know what, I, I'm, I, I, hate that the, I hate that God's law says this. I hate that the law that I was very uh, aware of when it was written, I'm sorry that it says this. Because what does that imply? Well, it's not really for your good. But we know better, don't we? And so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that it says, no, that's not what Jesus says. He says, yes, this is how you've lived. And you have been suffering because of that. But I'm coming to bring you salvation that can drop the burdens of the current sins that you're in. I would say that's still pretty compassionate. 
but he never apologized for the commandments of God. In Psalm 119, I think you see this um, beautifully explained. Beginning in verse 4, the psalmist says, You have adorned or ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. We should be able to point to Scripture. People, other people should be able to point to any portion of Scripture and us, be, and us not become defensive for God. That's why you know, when you get to portions like Leviticus chapter 10, where God kills Nadab and Abihu because they came with strange fire, with fire that was unauthorized, I think sometimes Christians just go straight to the defense. Well, you know, that's the Old Testament. God was much more wrathful back then. What makes us think that we are in such a position? What, what makes us think that God even needs a defense? It's God. He's the creator, not us. He's the Almighty, not us. He is the standard of what is just and unjust, not us. And so what makes us think that we, that we are so capable to be able to say, oh, well, uh, let me just apologize for God. That should never be the case. We should be so confident and so willing to not only share God's word, but, be, uh, but, uh, but never back down from it, even when we receive certain questions. So we can't become timid or ashamed of the gospel, no matter where uh, uh, someone points us to. Well, going beyond that, as you think about the, the devotion uh, that we're supposed to have to that gospel, that we are not supposed to back down from it, the relationship that we're supposed to have with God, what this kind of fear that Paul is talking about I think indicates is a lack of devotion, is a lack of, um, obviously, of the confidence that we've been discussing so far. But it's a lack of love, too, I think. Um, you know, you, you can think about just lukewarm Christianity and, and, you know, what God says about that in Revelation, or what Jesus says about that in Revelation, that it's something that disgusts God, that he, that he will spit them out of their mouth. It, it's, it's, it's not something that's fit for Christians. You know, I think we can understand that. How can God speak so, so severely about this? Well, you know, what if you, what if you were getting married? And, you know, you have a fiancé, especially ladies, you, you, you're about to get married, you, you're, or you, you become engaged, you're trying to plan the wedding, and, oh, you're just, you're just so excited about the wedding. I mean, this is, this is the day, and you have put so much time and so much thought into it, and that's even before you met the man that you currently are engaged to, and so you're just, you're just off. You're so excited about it, and you're talking to your fiancé, and then what would happen? How would you feel if while you're talking and you're so excited about that wedding that's coming up, and you say, well, how do, how do you feel about it? How, are, are you just, just as excited as I am? What if, what if he just came back and said, That would make you rethink some things probably. Because here you are, you can't wait to be married to this person. You can't be, wait to begin this journey. And they come back and say, mm, well, just another day. Men, I think, can sometimes be uh, <laughs> particularly guilty of that kind of response uh, sometimes. But I think it can go both ways. We don't want a timid love. We don't want a relationship or a love where the other is, is not as devoted or doesn't want to be with us or, or rather shows that, that they don't want to be with us because of their lack of, uh, lack of excitement. Over in Luke chapter 9, which I think is, yeah, it's already on the screen. Um, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. This is very similar to something we read this morning. But Jesus says, 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. God is just as... It is just as... Well, let's just say this. He is just as unexcited as we can be when it comes to the people that we are giving ourselves to, that we are putting all of our love uh, into those relationships. He is just as, as apprehensive about those as we can be. God does not want those kinds of relationships. He doesn't want lukewarm Christians. He doesn't want Facebook friends. What he wants is true followers. What he wants is real disciples who really... Uh, sincerely try to add those lessons, uh, the applications from his word into their lives so that they can deepen that love and deepen that uh, intimacy in that relationship. Um, I, I was going through a similar lesson like this not too long ago, and it was in, uh, the age group was probably just intermediate school or middle school to high school kids, and we were talking about this idea of, of what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. And I, I asked this question to the girls, and it just got, it got an audible gasp. And it's essentially, it's very similar to what I was, the example I was just going through. But I just asked them, girls, how would you feel if your boyfriend was ashamed or timid about letting people know that you were together? What if you started, you know, dating specifically because you think that maybe this is someone that you want to marry? And as you're trying to figure out this, or you're trying to figure all this out, you realize, you know, you're, you're telling people, I'm starting to court or date, whatever you want to call it. I'm trying to see whether or not that this is the person for me, that this is the man for me. And then you find out that he ain't telling nobody. He doesn't want to tell anybody. How would you feel? And again, when I asked that, to, uh, when I asked that question to this group of, of teenagers, all the girls' jaws just dropped. Like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Red flag. But, and, and, you, and I asked the, the guys a similar question, but it was in terms more so of just respect. You, just, you take the same example. What if, what if the, the girl that you are, again, dating, what if you find out that she isn't telling anybody? She doesn't want to tell her friends and she doesn't want to tell her family members because, what, she's just maybe a little bit ashamed of being with you. Well, in terms of respect, you feel slighted. Right? And, and so I think we all can understand this from, from the youngest of us to the oldest, that this is not the kind of relationship that we would ever want. What makes us think that this is a relationship that God would want? And so I think when it comes to timidity, when it comes to fear in a Christian's life, it shows a lack of, of confidence in God. It shows a lack of love in that relationship. Now, with all that being said, we are clearly not to have a spirit of fear. We're supposed to be confident in our relationship with him. But the same man who says, Paul, who says, do not fear, you go over to other passages, and he essentially says, but at the same time, don't forget it. Uh, now, what's the difference? Where's the balance that we were talking about? Well, specifically, we've been talking about fear that dominates the world. It's kind of like what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount when we, were, uh, when we got to that portion in Matthew chapter 6 of anxiety, where Jesus talks about anxiety. What are all of those concerns based on that he says that you're not supposed to, ha that you're not supposed to be weighed down with? It's the same things that the rest of the world, that the Gentiles are worried about. And so what I think we're supposed to take from this is you're not supposed to look like the rest of the world when it comes to what you are afraid of. 
over in Romans chapter 11 and verse 20. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 in verse 20. As Paul is, is, I think, throughout Romans, it goes through several arguments uh, and examples in, in um, specifically the Jews' history to make the case that, listen, this is the gospel, that even the Gentiles, yes, everyone ha- ha- now has a pathway to heaven, and it's through Jesus. Uh, and we've already kind of even mentioned that as an example in, in the earlier class when we looked at Galatians chapter 3 and verses 26 through 29. But as he's making these arguments in the middle of Romans chapter 11, as he's been saying that the Gentiles, they're being grafted in to this kingdom. In verse 20, he changes his, I think, he changes his, his uh, argumentation not towards the Jews, but now towards the Gentiles saying, quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not become conceited. Now that I'm talking so well about you all, saying that you actually are a part of this kingdom, don't become conceited. But fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. And so what does Paul say? Does he say, just forget fear altogether? No, that's not what he says. What he says is there's an appropriate place for fear. And that, that appropriate fear specifically stems from, originates from God. What, is, what does Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 say? But that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But what's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning. That's the start. And so clearly, we don't just let go of those things. Over in Philippians chapter 2, once more. Philippians chapter 2, to a separate group of Christians, Paul again says something very similar. Beginning in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, Paul is never, ever indicating that fear has no place in the Christian life. But as we just said, there is an appropriate and an inappropriate fear. Fear itself is... I don't think it's ever condemned. Fear is a natural human response. This is something that that all humans are subject to. Now, we don't have to succumb to it, but we are subject to it to a degree, and we have to figure out, we have to learn how to process that fear in a godly way, which I do believe that you can. Um, As we just, you know, you take any emotion, not just fear. You think about love. You think about even the sexual desire. That has a biblical outlet. That is actually something that God gave us that is a good thing. But what has the world done? What do even Christians do at some, at some, uh, at some point or sometimes? They let it corrupt them. They, le- they let that emotion guide them instead of them using that emotion in a godly way. And so just like we can corrupt and twist these natural emotions into sinful uh, and, you know, and use those to engage in sinful activities, well then of course, of course that is what, what the Bible is talking uh, or specifically teaching against. That is the inappropriate uh, kind of fear is when we let it guide us. The appropriate fear, I think, is what is uh, what we find when we read about the Almighty. Um, now we'll come back to this in just a moment, but 
you look at a few examples of faithful people throughout the Old Testament to the New Testament, specifically in the Old Testament, I just think about Abraham. Abraham is an interesting example because Paul talks about him a lot in Romans, talking about how faithful he was. And he even gets a really good mention in Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter 11. As we're getting examples of, of what our faith should look like, what the, the steadfastness of that faith. Well, all of that just to say, that doesn't mean that he was perfect. Just because the Bible says that he was a faithful man, that doesn't mean that the Bible is saying, I want you to do every single thing that he did. Because there was a few times that he let the fear overcome him. And there's a, few, there's a couple of examples specifically that I'm thinking of in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, very quickly. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Uh, well, uh, uh, this is kind of at the beginning of Abram's journey, and he is uh, really, he's obeying God up to a certain point. But when he gets to Egypt, he's worried that the Pharaoh, that the people are going to see Sarah, and he's worried that they are going to desire her to, to the degree that they kill him just to have her. And so what does he do? He lies about their relationship. He's deceptive about their relationship and really lies about it, not saying that they are a married couple, not saying that this is my wife. He, he plays it off as if she's anything but. Um, and, and so the Pharaoh takes her, and beginning in verse 17, he realizes that, uh, uh, or beginning in verse 17, it says that the Lord struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife, and Pharaoh gets what's going on in verse 18. He called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Now, that story ends pretty good for Abraham. He lied. He sinned. But it didn't end in his destruction. God had mercy and was gracious and he delivered him out of that circumstance. And God was with Abram. Now, just because the story had a good ending, does that mean that everything in the story is something that we are to emulate? No, but it is something we're supposed to learn from. But I will just say, this happens again, something very similar happens again in Genesis chapter 20, just eight chapters away, almost the exact same thing. What I think is so interesting is that God does not hide these stories from us. Rather, he shows us faithful men that he says he wants us to imitate, but he even shows us the failures. So that I think, so that we can learn from them and not make those same mistakes. You know, um, when I was younger, uh, I, we used to have, me and my brother, we had to push mow more, like two acres of our yard. We had a pretty big backyard, and we had to push mow. And at one point, I was in the middle of the process, and everything was going really well. I was actually going faster than usual. It was amazing. Well, I got to one of those intricate parts of the cut where you have to go around a shed, and you have to make sure that you're not leaving big portions so that you can get it really easily with the weed eater. And at one point, I was being very detailed, and I slowed down. And all of a sudden, I could feel that my leg had spontaneously combusted into flames. It was burning like none other. I looked down, and it was covered in yellow jackets. I had stepped into a yellow jacket nest. Now, let me tell you how I tell the story. When they stung me, and, it, and it, my leg was burning, <laughs> I heroically ran off, and I stopped, drop, and roll just like we learned in elementary school when you get caught on fire. 
And I did everything that I was supposed to do. I brushed all of them off. And then I, again, heroically just limped over to the house and made my way to the Neosporin and then very gently applied it to the leg, to the wound that I had gotten during this, this epoch. Well, let me tell you how my dad likes to say it. All of a sudden, he was on the sun porch. And while he was just sitting there, you know, watching my brother do his job on the yard, all of a sudden he hears a woman screaming bloody murder, and he just doesn't know what's going on. So he turns around, and what does he see? Not a woman, but Luke rolling around on the grass and starting to just take off layers of clothing because he's trying to get all of these bugs off of him. And, and, and what does Dad do? He starts to just laugh, as I guess you would if you're the one watching it and not actually in the middle of that painful example. Now, here's the reason I go through those two perspectives. I'm not going to tell it the way my dad tells it. I don't want to tell people that I screamed like a girl when I got in, uh, when I got, uh, in that yellow jacket nest. I want to say it the way I did. It was heroic, and I, and, and, and I got through this like a man would. Dad doesn't like to say it that way. He likes to tell it the real way. God, he doesn't hide those failures. He doesn't hide those embarrassing moments, even with the most faithful in his story. Rather, he gives it to us. He shows us how they have failed. And yet still, he gets the victory. And yet still, he is the hero. I think that that is very encouraging as we think about this idea that fear, it can either overtake us and it can guide us into doing, making mistakes or we can take what God says about it, we can learn from the faithful people that he has used from their mistakes or from their successes, and we can utilize that to better glorify God. It's a choice dependent upon what we decide we want to do. Uh, go with what, his wisdom or go with the wisdom of the world. Now, ultimately, what leads to inappropriate fear, but those moments when it's easiest to look away from God. We won't turn to it, but in Matthew chapter 8, what you find is that the disciples, as they're on the sea, it says in the New King James that a tempest uh, uh, came about, and really that's just a storm. In fact, that word, as you look throughout the New Testament, is used for earthquake in other places. So that tells you just the severity of the storm and the terrifying nature of the storm. So you can kind of understand why they were so worried when that storm hit their boats, and they are shaking with the waves, and they are just thinking, that there's no way we can get out of this. But what does Jesus say? What? Why did you doubt and he says this a few times. Why did you doubt ye of little faith? Why were you afraid? And when you think about Peter and how he, in Matthew chapter 14, he initially has that faith. He walks out on the sea and he is with Jesus and everything is going really well. But why, when does he start to sink? When he looks away from Jesus and all, he, and all he looks at and all he sees is the waves rocking about him. And that's when he starts to fall. That's when he starts to sink. And Jesus comes in, raises him back up. Why did you doubt? We, we have that inappropriate fear, or at least we engage, or we let fear overtake us when we move our focus, when we move our attention from God and his word. And so, again, we need to make sure that in those tempests, those storm-like circumstances, that we don't look away from the one who is in charge of the storm. Because he is always still there. And it, by his word, it will be calmed and, and have no doubts about that. Finally, as we talk about inappropriate fear, I just think it's, it's 
appropriate <laughs> that we talk about the appropriate fear. Over in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, very quickly. What Jesus makes clear is there is a fear that should really never leave the Christian's life. Luke chapter 12 in verse 5, he says, I will warn you whom to fear. And in verse 4, he says, don't, don't worry about those ones. Don't be afraid of those ones who can kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Again, does it sound like the New Testament, the Bible as a whole, indicates that we just should have no fear whatsoever in our lives? Let me tell you something. It, it deeply disturbs me and terrifies me when I hear Christians say essentially that, that fear has no place in the life of a Christian. Jesus says otherwise. He says, don't you forget the fear of the Lord. Because that is the beginning of wisdom. You go back even to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and what you find is that Moses, as he recounts what happened when, when the people heard God come in the thick cloud and darkness, as he's giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapters 19 and 20, the people, you remember how they respond, they did not want him to continue. They were too terrified to, to, to let him continue to talk to them like that because that is God speaking and they are in the presence of God Almighty. And so what does Moses say about this as he's recounting this moment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 28? Beginning in verse 28, he, it says, The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of his, this people, which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Not only does he say this was the correct response, but he says, if only they would keep this and take this and, and never forget it. In the same way, we cannot forget the fear of the Lord because it, as soon as we do, we start worrying about what men will do to us. We start worrying about the carnal things. And guess what? We lose attention. We lose sight of him. We take our focus and our attention away from him. And ultimately, we will fall and sink just like Peter. And so don't forget the fear of the Lord. It's an important lesson that God gives us and that God wants us to utilize to better serve him. Now, with all that being said, if you're a Christian, I would just want to ask the question, do you fear for your salvation. Are you not as confident as Paul when he says, I've fought the good fight, I know where I'm going. And no matter what man does to me, God will deliver me, ultimately in eternity. Do you have that kind of confidence or do you, are you worried about your salvation tonight? The Bible says that you shouldn't. Rather, we should sound just like Paul. But the only way you can overcome the fear of the world, the world, is by knowing the one, by coming to the one who overcame it in the first place. And that is what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John. How do we do that? Well, simply by getting to know him through his word, through the revelation of God's word. You don't have to stay in that fear. You can make things right this very night. You can have one of the brethren here help you. We can, ask, we can have a study together. We, can, we would love nothing more than to help you in that. But if you're not a Christian, let me just say, that fear... That, that insecurity, that is where you stay. And I don't say that in, in, a, in, a, in a joyful way. I, I worry for you. I want you 
to have that assurance that you, should you lose your life this very night, that you will not go before God and hear the words, depart from me because I never knew you. Rather, I want you to hear those beautiful words when he calls us servants and says, enter into the pleasure, enter into the joy of your master. That's what I want you to have. But you can't have that unless you put on Christ. Now, again, that does not mean that we will never fear again just because we're Christians. But what it does mean is that now you can have hope. You can have a hope that endures past all of the things that man tries to get us to fear in this life. If you want to become a Christian tonight, if you want to walk down these aisles, come to the front row, we will assist you in that. If you're too worried about, you know, all of these eyes looking at you, you can wait till after the services and you can talk to one of us. And we can talk about, we can go through the Bible about what it means to become a Christian. Don't let fear keep you from being with Jesus in this life or the next. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as together we stand.